We are continuing our study through the book of Jude, and this evening our title for our study is Forewarned is Forearmed. Forewarned is Forearmed. A quick review of what we did uh, last week in verses 14 to 16, we learned about the judgment prophecy of Enoch of how it is recorded for us that God had spoken through Enoch, specifically saying that God is going to come to execute judgment on all these apostates. Up to this point, if you look at a, in a, an introduction of uh, now what has happened so far, up to this point, Jude has established the need for his readers to contend earnestly for the faith. He reminded them of God's righteous condemnation of the ungodly. And he also brought about vivid descriptions of the ungodly people who have crept in unnoticed. That's what has happened so far. Now, from verses 17 onwards, Jude provides a series of exhortations designed to make sure that believers are standing strong in the faith that once and for all was delivered to the saints. So it's going to be a series of exhortations that he's speaking about of how we need to stay strong. Jude is not telling us that we need to attack these people, these apostates, these individuals who are a danger to the church. Instead, he's telling us to focus our attention on our walk with the Lord, to help others who are affected by these people, and to focus on God. We simply are to pay no attention to these individuals except for what is necessary for our warning. God is assured that he will take care of them. Our responsibility is not to fight with them. Our responsibility is to stand firm in what God has given to us. So, the ungodliness of religious impostors only serves to increase our sense of urgency in protecting the vulnerable flock. Okay? Now, we are living in the last days. There's a lot of these things that are happening, and that should definitely increase our sense of urgency to protect not only ourselves, but individuals who are vulnerable to these type of apostate beliefs. History bears abundant witness about people straying from the truth of God to unsound, man-pleasing doctrine and worship. And there's a slow drifting away from the faith that has happened. Why is this? Because oftentimes, people of God are not prepared to confront the false teachers who come into their midst in terms of identifying and understanding who they are that they are careful about them. As a result, they get involved, they get you know, mixed up, and you find sooner or later, those things have crept into their lives as well. So Jude is reminding us over here that this type of false teaching will definitely increase in the church because this has been you know, stolen by Jesus, stolen by the disciples as well. So, as an introduction, if you notice for these verses, we say he's telling us to remember three things. Number one, he's asking us to remember the words that have been spoken before. In verses 17 to, 17 to 18, that's what he's saying. 
He is saying, look back. He says, this is not something new I am speaking. Just as much as he gave examples of Old Testament individuals, apostates who were judged for another apostasy, Jude is reminding us here of God's words that have been spoken before by the apostles now to speak about this is what will happen in the last days. And he's also reminding them of who spoke these words. These were apostles of Jesus, people who were appointed by Jesus himself. And as a result, you know, the scripture is telling us very clearly in John 13 and verse 20, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So individuals who are not willing to accept the doctrinal beliefs about Jesus, it would also show that God has not really sent them. So he's saying, remember the words that have been spoken by the apostles and remember who has spoken them because these are apostles of the Lord Jesus himself because he is the one who has sent them out with this type of an authority. And thirdly, he's also saying, remember what they said. Remember what they said. Peter, for example, mentions very clearly that in the last days, you know, this is what is going to happen. Second Peter chapter 3. Verses 1 to 3 tells us, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So he's saying, I'm writing this letter to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And then again, if you notice in 2 Timothy, you know, rather in that same verse, verse 3, it says, above all, you must desire that, you must also understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. So here, the apostle Peter is saying, hey, this is what is going to happen in the last days. And also, if you notice in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul speaks of it and says, this will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. And in chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So what Jude is saying here is, he says, I'm not saying anything new. This is also spoken of by the apostles and that these are apostles of Jesus whom he has appointed. And he's saying, reminding them, hear what they have said, what Peter has said and what Paul has said. Okay, so that's just as a broad outline of the verses. Now let's get into a uh, verse by verse understanding of verses 17 to 19. <clears throat> this is what it reads. It says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. This is the passage in verses 17 on to 19. So let's split it up verse by section by section 
and understand what these verses are saying. First of all, he's saying it's no surprise. You know, this is a sad state of affairs. This is the truth about who these guys really are. And right in the beginning, he's drawing a contrast. He starts with the word but. He says, but you beloved. So the word but is contrasting Christians with the apostates. In this verse, Jude is drawing the readers into his own circle and distances themselves from the opponents. He says, you beloved, but he's turning his attention now to the believing readers. Okay, E.C. Pentecost in the Bible Knowledge Commentary writes, having identified the apostates in expressive language, Jude gave the believers guidelines on how to avoid the apostates' errors. It is not enough to recognize false teachers. It is also necessary to avoid falling into their errors. So he has said, I explained these false teachers. Now he's saying, hey, this is our responsibility to make sure that we don't fall into their errors. So let's look at the sad state of affairs. S stands for situation predicted by the apostles. Situation predicted by the apostles. He says, you ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand. Okay, Jude uses the word remember. Okay, Now, this word remember is in the indicative mode. It basically means it's a command. He's commanding his audience to remember the teaching. He says, hey, guys, you know, don't take it lightly. This is a command from God. Remember this teaching. So through the prophets, God has supplied to us the instruction that we need to remember so that we will be ready for what is to come and we can rest knowing that God's omniscience and omnipotence mean that all things are known by him and he will work everything out according to his perfect will. So it's a reminder. Remind ourselves of this truth. What? These things are going to happen and also remind ourselves of this truth that God is in control that God is finally going to judge these apostates. <laughs> so this word remember then is a command. It basically means to recall to mind, to recall to mind. There's a tendency for Christians to forget what the Bible says. It is not just enough to remember the thoughts or the ideas. You know? He says, remember the words, remember the words. You know? So it is important for us to understand. That is why we are doing all these word studies, you know, so that we understand the full depth and meaning of each of these words. It's not just a concept. We could have just done the book of Jude in one session and said, hey, be careful of the apostates that are going to come. This is what's going to happen to them. We could have put that into a nutshell, as it were. But when you're speaking about remember the words, each word of the scripture is important. And the Bible does definitely tell us that not even one word is going to go void. It has a purpose. So he says, remember the words of the apostles. The Spirit of God had put down this for us. You know, and we must be willing to study what the word teaches us. You know, and keep reminding us. As even Peter, when he's writing the epistle, he says, you know, you know, it is good to remind ourselves. So these may be truths you know, that we have learned before. 
Sometimes when we read a particular, uh, now come for a particular study, maybe we say, oh, this book I've already read, or this particular psalm I already read. I've already heard somebody preaching on this. So we think we know it all. But no, no, it's good to remind ourselves. It's good to remember back again. Why? Because it is easy for individuals to forget. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 tells us, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. The writer to the Hebrews says, hey, you have forgotten these truths. So remembrance is important for the Christian life. And one of the best ways to recall to mind biblical truth is to continually read the Bible. That's the best way, isn't it? Keep feeding your mind. Keep reading it again and again. Read through the scriptures. Read through the Bible. You know, you cannot say, I have finished reading the Bible. I finished reading this book. Read it again and again so that you know, it is going to be stored in your mind so that you will be able to remember. Ask ourselves even this evening, you know, how much of a remembering do we do? And if you have to remember, it's remember. The word remember means recall to mind. If you have to recall, it has to be there first of all, isn't it? If it is not stored, if it is not in our minds, don't think suddenly a verse will pop out of Scripture and you didn't even know that particular verse was in Scripture. Warren Worsby writes, wherever there is the authentic, the counterfeit will appear. And this happened in the early church. False apostles and teachers began to appear. And it was necessary to develop a system to protect the church against false prophecies and forged letters. <coughs> and when the church assembled the New Testament books, when the canon was done, it was required that each book be written either by an apostle or by someone closely associated with an apostle. Apostolic teaching was and still is the test of truth. So what does that mean? If somebody comes up with a new revelation, what do we do? We test it by what the apostles have written in scripture, what Jesus himself has taught. Basically, it means you know, when anybody comes up with something new, check it back with scripture. Check back with what God's word has said. And you will soon discover that the new revelation that they have had is actually a lie. Friends, this evening ask ourselves, how much have we put God's word into our minds so that when these things are happening and will happen even in greater levels, we would be able to recall to mind to say, hey, this is what God's word says, this is the genuine, this is the, uh, the truth, and you'll easily be able to spot the counterfeit. So he's saying here, words spoken by the apostles. Now, while the Lord had many disciples, he selected only a few to be his apostles. Now, the word apostle means one who is sent with a commission. And in order to qualify, a believer had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Remember in the book of Acts when they had to find a replacement for Judas? Now, this was a qualification, one who has been with Jesus, who has been a witness to his death and resurrection. And this is why Paul, when he's speaking about it constantly, he speaks about you know, 
and one who has met with Jesus on the way to Damascus to speak about his authenticity as an apostle. And the apostleship was what really was the criteria to decide what was genuine or not. Today we need to be careful. There are a lot of people who call themselves as apostles and end-time apostles, and as a result, they think that what they say is the truth, even though it is contrary to Scripture. This is what Jude is warning us over here. When he's speaking about the words spoken by the apostles, he's not speaking about any current-day apostle. He's speaking about the words written in Scripture. So what Jude is saying here, in contrast to the grumbling and the complaining and the arrogant speech of the false teachers, he is asking, hey, you guys, you should not be like these people, these false teachers, but rather what should you be doing is to remember the words of the apostles. Remember Jesus himself in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7 and verse 15 says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You know, beware of them who come in sheep's clothing. Oftentimes, you know, we think of sheep's clothing as a wolf with a sheepskin over him, so he looks like a sheep, you know. Now, that's the image that we have received from cartoons, you know. But remember, when the shepherd watched the flocks on the hillside, his garment was a sheepskin worn with the skin outside and the fleece inside. The sheepskin mantle became the uniform of the prophets, just as the Greek philosophers had worn the philosopher's robe. So it was by that mantle that the prophet could be distinguished from other men. But sometimes that clothing was worn by those who had no right to wear it. And there were those who wore the prophet's clothing that they were, who were not prophets of God. These were false prophets. So this is what it meant by you know, uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. They are the trappings of a prophet. They are the trappings of being spiritual, but inside they were not at all. So that's why the scripture tells, be on guard, be on guard. And that's what God expects us to do. <clears throat> so Jude is basically saying that all the apostles have been telling them this, so it should not be any surprise at all. They are to remember what the apostles had spoken. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, we read, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone, and on top of it, in our foundation, the apostles and prophets, is what is written in Scripture. That's what it means. So as a result, if the foundation is the apostles and prophets, we need to be careful of individuals who call themselves apostles and prophets because the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets, which is the Scripture. And we need to be careful if there are people who call themselves apostles and prophets who teach some things which are contrary to Scripture. We have to be very, very careful. So. Moving on, it says that they were saying to you, okay? Now, saying is in the imperfect tense, picturing this as a repeated action again and again. So what Jude is saying, this is not once they were saying, they have been telling you plenty of times, telling you plenty of times. And if we have to remember it plenty of times as well, and you know, we remember it by memorizing God's word, put it into our minds, you know, 
uh, memorize it so that it comes back to our uh, remembrance. Okay. Secondly, you know, the A of the sad state of affairs is the arrogance motivated by unrestrained sensuality. The arrogance you know, motivated by unrestrained sensuality. In verse 18, we read, in the last time there shall be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. Now, remember, wherever the phrase the last time comes in or the last days comes in, when it is used in scripture, it is primarily used to refer to the period between Christ's first coming and his second coming, okay? Now, if you notice in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 says, realize that in the last days, difficult times will come. That's the time that we are living in. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the, uh, no, in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken us to in his son. Again, these are indeed the last days. 1 Peter 1, 20, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days, last times for the sake of you. So the last time that phrase is always speaking about the period of grace that we are living in from the time Christ first came in and the time the Lord will come back again to take us to be with himself. So what is he saying? He's saying in the last time, there will be mockers. There will be mockers. You remember in Peter also it's mentioned the same thing. You know, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 3 will tell us no that first of all, in the last days, mockers will come, okay, mockers will come. Now, what does the word mocker mean, you know? It basically describes those who make fun of another, okay? People who scorn somebody else, scoff something else. They treat with contempt and ridicule things that are of vital importance. So what these mockers were really saying, if you look at in a second Peter, second Peter chapter three and verse three speaks about in the last days, mockers will come. So what are the mockers saying? In second Peter chapter three and verse four, it says, they were saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So what are these mockers doing? You know, when the Bible says in the last time there will be mockers, two types of them. One, individuals who will say that, oh, 2,000 years have come by. You think God is going to come back again? He's not going to come back again. Heaven and hell is what you make here on earth. And this is the kingdom and we need to establish the kingdom. This is everything. There's no such thing as what is going to happen you know, after you die. There are others who would also get to do the another extreme and say, oh, Christ has already come, you know. And there are so many individuals who have said that, apostates, you know, who said, has Christ has come into them and asked people to follow after them. And there are people who have actually done that. So either of these two extremes mockers about God's coming back again. Now, we need to be careful where individuals, you know, and I come up with different, different prophesyings to say on this day is going to come, on that day they are going to come, he is going to come, or to put two and two and make things together. But the scripture is telling us be careful, you know, be careful. Don't listen to any of them when they put down all these dates and timings because the scripture is very clear. No man knows the day or the hour of his coming. 
So there will be mockers. Okay, Second Timothy chapter three, the last portion of that verse says, "But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, deceiving and being deceived." And in our world today, there are so many things that are happening which will definitely qualify or explain this statement, where evil men are going from bad to worse. Okay. Evil apostates are going from bad to worse. New, new things they are coming up with. They are deceiving others and they themselves are being also deceived because they are saying, thus says the Lord and thus says the Lord, but nothing is really coming about. It is their own dreaming as Jude has mentioned earlier. Now, what are they doing? They will be mockers. Then it says, following after their ungodly lust. We learned last time that lust, another meaning, is a passionate craving, whether good or bad. And in this context, it is definitely evil. Okay. Now, Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So an apostate who is following after, that is his journey, that is his pathway of life, that is his lifestyle ungodly lust, lust for position, lust for money, lust for sexual passions, you know, all these things are signs of the apostates, okay. This is why one of the ways to recognize an apostate is, you know, what do they follow? What do they follow? It's as simple as that. When it says following after ungodly lusts, you know, in John chapter 10 and verse 27, we read, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, isn't it? That's what the Bible tells us. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Whereas on the other hand, you know, an apostate, what do they follow? They are following after their own ungodly lust. So you look at the lifestyle of these apostates and find out who they are really following. Okay? When the Bible tells us the Son of Man did not even have a place to lay his head, and you look at some of the apostates of today, their lavish lifestyles, we must ask ourselves, who are they really following? Now, moving on further, the third part of it, of the sad state of affairs, D, stands for division accomplished by fleshly orientation. Division accomplished by fleshly orientation. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded devoid of the spirit. Now the question we may ask ourselves, how do these individuals or how do the rest of the people in the church allow them to cause the divisions, allow them to continue to infiltrate, okay? You know, how did the people get drawn away? Clearly it is because they hear men uh, they know and trust speaking attractive words which lure them away from the truth of God's word. And Warren Wearsby writes and says, their appeal is usually, we have a deeper knowledge of the word than your church doesn't have, that your church doesn't have. We have a better understanding of prophecy or of the Christian life than you do. They offer a higher quality, in quotes, of religion than that of the apostles. Greater things than these you will do and they misquote it and misunderstand it in different, different ways. And as a result, there are a lot of people who are drawn away 
to them. You know? But as a result of that, what happens? These are the three things that they do. Again, the triad that is mentioned, they cause divisions, they are worldly-minded, they are devoid of the spirit. The word division is only used in Jude, and it literally means to draw a boundary to, to divide, to draw a boundary to. And one of the characteristics of what the apostate teachers is that they wrongly divide the church and cause schisms and friction. And this stands in direct contrast, isn't it, to the prayer of Jesus, you know, the high priestly prayer of unity for his followers. John chapter 17 and verse 11 says, Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Remember, apostates always cause divisions in the church. Why? Because there will always be a division between truth and error. So if there are individuals who are breaking up the churches instead of uniting it together, you know, be careful. Because one of the greatest challenges you know, that we have in uh, our quest for unity is to decide what really belongs to the essential body of doctrine, isn't it? You know, there are people who are coming up with different, different doctrines. Now we say, okay, they are believers. Okay, they are believers. Now on what points do we... And uh, allow them to be a part on what points would that be the division? How can you draw the line? Remember the word division is basically to draw the line. Now, where do we draw the line of for people who call themselves Christians, who call themselves Bible-believing, but who differ in certain beliefs than you know, the others? You know? So that's the greatest challenge you know, in deciding about unity. What exactly is it that we divide over? And what do we agree or disagree? You know, these are the things that we need to decide. Definitely, salvation by faith alone should be true. If a person doesn't agree with that, then there is no part you know, with them. Definitely, the deity of Christ you know, you know, should definitely be you know, the point in which we stand on. The inspiration of Scripture, authority of Scripture, should definitely be a point that we stand on. And also the fact that man on his own cannot reach up to God, that man in, the, in himself is not good, the depravity of man is something that we need to stand firm on. So there are certain doctrines that you need to draw the line and say, hey, this is what scripture is saying. I'm not going to budge into that you know, and to give in. But there may be others, you know, in which maybe the type of you know, worship or you know, the type of baptism or you know, different other aspects that, are, you know, that may oftentimes divide you know, different, different churches. You know. We need to be careful on what are we going to hold on to and what are we going to say it is okay in the practice of worship. <clears throat> in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. This is what should be the model, if you were to say, for unity. Same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Okay, so that's the area of the division. What about the area of the worldly-minded, you know, the worldly-minded? 
The meaning of that word, you know, Greek word psychikos, you know, basically the Greek meaning of the, the English understanding of that Greek word is to the life of the natural world, unspiritual, one who functions only bodily. Okay, that's what it means to be worldly minded is to think of a person and a person who thinks only about his natural bodily functions you know, and is keen only for that rather than the spiritual things of God. So Jude is saying here that a characteristic of the apostles is that they are worldly in their thinking, which means that they think about and focus on things in contrast to God. Okay, What is their mind thinking about? They're only thinking about their passion. They're only thinking about the natural. They're only thinking about the physical here or not. They're not concerned about the spiritual relationship with God. So what Jude is saying here is a key trait of fakes is that is what they focus their mind on. They focus on these things and themselves instead of God's will. This is what again we read in James chapter 3. James chapter 3 verses 15 to 17, we read, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom that is from above is first of all pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. So worldly thinking or worldly wisdom has all these aspects, jealousy, selfish ambition, arrogance, lying against the truth, falsehood. Okay. So what Jude is emphasizing here is <coughs> individuals who are the apostates, their thinking is as the world thinks, living for themselves, Enjoying the life here because this world is everything. That's the natural man. The spiritual man thinks about God and recognizes that this world is not everything. This is why A.W. Tozer wrote, Whatever a man thinks about when he is free to think about what he will, that is what he is or will soon become. Whatever a man thinks about when he is free to think about what he will, that is what he is or will soon become. In other words, what are the things that goes on in your mind? When you have nothing else to do, what goes on into your mind? What are you thinking about? When you have free time, what are you thinking about? That is who you are or that is who you would become. 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from this world. This is what worldly-minded, worldly thinking is all about. But what are we supposed to be doing in this world? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 tells us, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So worldly-minded is setting your mind on, th on things on the earth. That's the natural man. The spiritual man sets our mind on the things above. Third aspect of that is devoid of the spirit. Devoid of the spirit. This is perhaps the most succinct uh, and a clear statement made by Jude. 
that describes the apostate's true spiritual condition. They are devoid of the Spirit. That means they are not really believers because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, the scripture is very clear, isn't it? You don't really belong to him. So they are actually only pretenders. They are only fakes. They don't have the Spirit of God living in them, even though they say they have the Spirit of God living in them. This is why Jesus said, isn't it, in the last days, many shall come to him and say, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? But what did the Lord say? He says, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. So devoid of the spirit. Literally, it means the spirit not having. And this statement, if you were to say, is a shorthand for an unbeliever because every believer has the Holy Spirit. So when Jude says they are devoid of the Spirit, is making it very clear. These guys are not believers. They have only crept into the church, appearing to be believers, trying to take a whole lot of people away, divide. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful. <laughs> look at you know, these three images of genuine and counterfeit notes. It may look the same, but we need to make sure that we know the genuine so that we are easily able to spot the counterfeit. <coughs> Dwabel also tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You know? But again, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, we read, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He started off by saying, but you beloved, you know, recognizing there's a difference between the individuals to whom he's writing the letter and to the apostates. And Paul writing to the Romans says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, this is the important factor, because remember, Conversion is not just a person saying he has accepted Christ. Conversion is basically God changing you from inside, taking, you, uh, taking away your heart of stone and putting a heart of flesh. That is what Jesus meant when he said you must be born again, born from above. God does his internal work in our lives and the Spirit of God comes and resides in our spirit. And that is what true believer is all about. But today, oftentimes, a person may just sign on a dotted line, raise a hand, say a sinner's prayer, and thinks that he is saved. And some of these false apostates may also encourage some of that. But scripture is very clear. If any man does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The Bible tells us that it is God's spirit which bears witness with our spirit that we really belong to him. Okay. Let's move further now and get a quick understanding of the apostate's profile as we have learned in all these you know, preceding verses. You know, the apostates are ungodly. They are uh, uh, morally perverted. They deny Christ. They defile the flesh. They are rebellious. They revile angels. They are ignorant about God. They proclaim false visions. They are self-destructive. They are grumblers. They are fault finders. They are self-satisfying. They use arrogant words. They use false flattery. They mock God. They cause divisions. 
they are worldly minded and finally to sum it all up now they are like this because they are devoid of the spirit of god they are devoid of the spirit of god that's how they are you know sometimes you may look around and say how can a person calls himself a christian and behave like this jude makes it very clear they behave like this this is their profile because they are devoid of the spirit of god so let's close with some concluding thoughts first of all Christians need to keep themselves bathed in God's words so that we can remember his promises and so we won't be surprised at the persecution and opposition that comes against us the church we must fill ourselves our minds with God's word so that we can recall that is what remember is we can remember put it into our minds so that we can remember when the time comes in secondly mockers of the christian faith have been around since christ walked the earth we should expect them to treat us no better than they treated him thirdly what a person follows oftentimes provides good evidence for their true spiritual condition who are you following you know some in today's world of course you know when we speak about following is speaking about following on facebook or following on twitter or following on instagram who are you following you know that will give a good understanding of your true spiritual condition or what is going on in your mind and and that will give you an understanding of your true spiritual condition next god asks us to strive for unity but not at the expense of truth this is why we must be very clearly where do we draw the line a person's persistent thoughts are a good temperature of how much in the world they are what are in your thoughts because that is a good temperature of how much in the world you are you know how much of the world is in your mind you know you may not do any actions but is there in your thoughts you know that will show where you really are and finally the bible is clear a person lacking god's holy spirit is not a true believer and the spirit of god influences us to live the type of life that god wants us to live let me close with five application questions this evening number 1 the christian life is lived by continually remembering the words of the new testament or the words of the old scriptures and as a result of this study <coughs> what are the things you need to remind yourself in these last days okay we have been one word that i would have struck out this evening would be remember so what are the things that we need to remember from scripture in these last days secondly what type of mockers do we see today all around us in our culture okay what are the type of mockers that we see non christian world christian world thirdly why is church unity so important and how does it affect those inside the church and those outside the church you know fourthly what is the difference between disagreeing and being divisive is there a difference between the two and how can someone disagree with a brother or sister in christ without being div- divisive in the church and finally number 5 how can we be proactive about creating unity in our church let's bow our heads and pray together